I'm really excited today because uh, I found out on Friday that I had a huge problem. And uh, the huge problem was is that I had way too much information for one Sunday. And so I'm learning, I'm getting smarter the older I am to not try to just jam everything into one week. And uh, so for the next two weeks, I'm gonna be talking about family finances. Okay, finances in the family. And so today I'm gonna talk uh, about understanding our, our finances. And uh, uh, I know that uh, when we have a godly perspective and understanding of money, things begin to operate differently in our lives. And so I learned that very early in my life as a believer, that God has a specific plan for what he wants us to do with what he has blessed us with. And when we begin to capture the idea of, of what our money really is, and our money really is a useful tool for the kingdom of God, with the side benefit of everything that we need being provided for us. And so when we looked at, when we begin to understand money, we begin to look at our life in a multifaceted different way. Next week, I'm gonna be uh, talking about, to this. today is understanding money, next week is gonna be getting your finances in order. And so there was no way to put both of those two into the same message because there's just too much to do with that. And there's, it's too important of a topic. You know, from the youngest to the oldest, money affects us every day. Kind of reminds me of a story I heard about this little boy who uh, just had this great desire for a hundred bucks because there were a few things that he wanted to buy. So his parents said, you need to pray and ask the Lord. And after two weeks, he didn't see any movement in the heavenlies. And so he thought, you know what? Maybe praying's not the answer. Maybe I need to write a letter to God. And so the little boy took out his pen and paper and X'd out this letter about, Lord, i you know been praying. I need a hundred dollars and I haven't heard anything from you. So I thought I'd send you a letter. And he addressed it to uh, the Lord USA. And so when the post office got the, this letter, they thought, wow, that's really cute. You know, this little boy's trying to send uh, a letter to the Lord about some finances. And so they got together and thought, well, who can we send this to? And they said, well, let's send it to Congress. You know, the congressman will think that's a great thing, you know, to help teach this little shaver about money and everything. And so they sent it up to the house and they looked it over and thought, this is a great thing, good, cute little kid. So they put a $5 bill in an envelope and they sent it back to him and, and the mail came and his mom brought him the, the envelope and he was so excited to, to open it. And he took out this, you know, cause it's the Congress. And so they went to the treasury department and got one of them crisp $5 bills it was a beautiful thing, and the little boy looked at it, and his heart just swelled with joy, and so he thought, I need to write the Lord a letter back just to say thank you. So in his letter, he said, Dear Lord, I, I know that praying works, and, but the direct letter to you seemed to be even more impacting. He said, Thank you so much for the $5 that you sent me. He said, I see that it came through Washington, D.C. for some reason, and I just wanted you to know that those jerks kept $95. <laughs> oh 
So even at the youngest of ages, our little guys learn such great lessons about finances. And so there's, uh, it's interesting, seriously, how little we know about what God has to say about money. And so this morning, let's open in prayer as we begin these two weeks of understanding our finances God's way. Father, we thank and praise you that you are the God that does incredible things, that you are the Lord of all things, and for that we're grateful. Father, today I pray that this, these two messages would open up a pathway of understanding, it would open up a pathway of revelation, that, Father, that it would give uh, insight to the things that you have to say about money, and you have a lot to say about money. And so, Lord, today, I just pray that my words would bring understanding, that there would be no condemnation in any of these two messages, Father, because your word says in Romans 8 that there is no condemnation for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And so, Father, today, help us to build a bridge between our money and what your purpose is so that we can have that peace and contentment that you, only you, can bring in the realm of finances. And Father, we just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody look at your neighbor and tell them, this, this message is going to change my life. Just tell them that. Come on now. I want you sitting up on the edge of your seat. I want you to get your Bibles out. I want you to know that this information and in these next two weeks is going to be life-changing. God has a lot to say about money. And the number one primary people that are affected by finances are the family. Because the family needs what uh, uh, finances provide for us to do what we need to do. So we, we need to take a, a good look uh, uh, at the power of money and what money does and how finances affect the family. One of the things that I know in every survey that I read, the, one of the top three reasons in everyone's survey on why people get divorced is money. It's about money. Money creates stress in the relationship. Money creates uh, anxiety and tension in, in relationships. The way we handle our money creates mistrust in our relationships, and so many times it's the straw that breaks a camel's back in the midst of a relationship that's not hitting on all cylinders. Money creates stress in the family. Money creates uncertainty in, in our family dynamics. Money creates drama in, in many households, and money creates discouragement a lot of times in the families. And it's not simply because we spend too much, it's because we don't know how to spend effectively what we actually have. It's interesting when you look at the idea of money, it's shown in every survey that I read over the past month and a half, is that um, only one in three Families have a budget. Only one in three families have a budget. 
That means that 67% of Americans, when they get their paychecks, they're looking at that moment of what they need and they're trying to run their resources on that moment. And when we run our finances on the moment, we're always gonna give our money to the most pressing need and that pressing need is always gonna be something that has to do with your flesh. And so we have to understand that when we don't budget our money, when we don't know where our money is going, if we haven't determined where every dollar is going, then many dollars go to things that you have no clue to where your money is even going. And when we do everything out of the necessity of the moment, we run into the idea where all of these things begin to affect the family. It's a lot of pressure on the family. 67% of Americans, and isn't it interesting, it's the same percent of the people who, uh, who haven't created a budget. 67% of Americans, if they ran into a $1,000 emergency, would not have the means to take care of that situation. They would either have to turn to a family member, turn to a friend, or what so many do, turn to a credit card to have to take care of that emergency. And so when, uh, when, when that question was asked to those 67% of people who don't budget, when the question why was asked, the response was this, that there's no need to budget our money, we're gonna spend all of it anyway. So what does that say about our preoccupation with stuff? You know, when stuff rules the day, then there'll never be enough money to satisfy the things that you want and need. Just a few other statistics that I wanna just point out uh, at the beginning of this series is, uh, surveys show that 90% of people will buy something they can't afford. 90% of people will go into debt to buy something that they can't afford. And when you're buying something you can't afford, most times you're buying something that you don't need. 80% of graduating college seniors already are strapped with a major load of credit card debt. I'm not talking about student loan debt because most kids are coming out of college now with over $60,000 in student debt to begin their careers. So they're strapped with credit card debt, they're strapped with student loan debts, and 19% of them are filing for bankruptcy after they're leaving college. So what is wrong with this picture? What is wrong with the idea of, of when we get to this place to where we've done such a great feat of graduating college that we're already so far in debt that it's even hard to move forward. They were saying one of the reasons why uh, over the last several years that the housing market hasn't just erupted is because there's so many millennials that are strapped with student loan debt that they can't afford a student loan payment and a house payment, and so many of them stay living under their parents' roof until they get that all figured out, which I don't know when that will happen, uh, when that will get all figured out, but it's something that happens. It's a real situation. How is that happening? 
Well, one of the things that I would say, the reason why that is happening is is because there is just not a great amount of teaching, number one, in the schools on personal finances, but certainly not in the home. If 67% of children that are raised watch their parents operate with no budget and a household full of stress about finances, most likely they're going to repeat what they have learned in their home. 49% of people can't cover one month's living expenses if they were to lose their income. Now, I don't know about you, but these statistics, and hey, there's going to be better news as the, as the message goes on, okay? So, uh, and that's why I'm talking about the idea of, of this isn't a message about condemnation. This is a message about reality. And sometimes when there's an elephant in the room, people don't want to talk about that elephant. But I'm just brave enough to talk about the elephants in the room. And so, because I don't want you to have to live your life in stress over finances and in bondage. And so, it's interesting that, listen to this statistic, most people carry a car loan that averages a payment of $378 a month. And some of you are saying, wow, I wish my car payment was only $378 a month. And others of you are saying, wow, how could anyone have a car payment of $378? Now, is, here's an interesting statistic. That sum of money, if it was invested from the time you were 25 to 65, you would yield a $4 million retirement. A $4 million retirement. If you were to take that money and not invest it in something that was just going to go away or get crashed or break down on you, but that you would take that money and invest it in you. See, one of the things that we fail to do is we, we fail to invest in us. People will tell me all the time, you know, Pastor, I can't afford to save anything. And I say, if you don't save, you're not investing in you. Right. You're not investing in those 40 to 60 hours of work that you have done all week long to pay everyone else. Where do you invest in you? When do you invest in what you're going to have or your future or your emergency fund or your ability to pay a thousand dollar bill out of your own money without having to put it on a credit card? Here's the interesting thought about that. If you put something on a credit card, you still are paying for it, right? I mean, and here's a, another staggering statistic is that 60% of people do not pay off their credit card debt at the end of every month. And the average credit card interest that people are paying is $1,400 a year. What if you saved the money that you would make on your credit card payment to prepare yourself for an emergency that comes along, and then you would be paying you instead of you paying somebody 21.79% for the money that they are, you are borrowing from them. See, the Bible is clear. The Bible says that the borrower is subject to the lender. In other words, that when you borrow money, you are at the, 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 the uh, they, they have power over you. The lenders have power over you when you borrow from them. 
And what the Bible is saying is don't let a lender have power over you because they can call in your debt at any time. And you don't want to be in debt to anyone. Debt is the thing that strangles us at the core of our being. Now, there's another scripture in Proverbs when we talk about debt. And uh, uh, I don't have it on my paper. I'm going to ask Rick to look it up for me. That uh, the, uh, the Bible tells us in Proverbs that we are to not co-sign for anyone else's debt. That you are not to co-sign. I think it's Proverbs 22, Rick. I, I might not be sure on that. This just popped into my... And this is something I'm going to talk about in the next message on budgeting. But a lot of people don't realize that God has so much foreknowledge and he's given us so much wisdom. He's helped us to be wise and, and, and so that we don't have to go through the, the stresses and the pressures of finances. But the Bible says do not co-sign for someone else's loan. If you're going to co-sign for someone else's loan, in your heart, you need to agree that no matter what happens with that loan, I'm going to be fine to pay it off, one. And number two, I have the means to pay off that loan. Because I've, I've got bad news for you. When you co-sign for somebody's loan and they don't pay it, the people come to knock on your door. You co-signed, they want their money. And so you thought that you were helping your kid out, you were helping a friend out because they couldn't get a loan because something's not right with their finances so you would just help them out. Something's not right with their finances because they've not handled their money properly. And if somebody has to have a co-signer to get a loan, they're getting a loan for something that they can't afford. So that's your sign right up front. That if somebody can't afford it on their own and they're relying on you, you better be willing to make all of the payments on that loan. So, Proverbs 11.15. That's why I always say a proverb a day will keep the devil away. A proverb a day, and we're going to do a series in 2020 on living life through the words of Proverbs. So we're really excited about that series. So I don't want to wreck and get too far ahead, but I'm going to extend another proverb right here. See, finances is about the family. And when you co-sign for a family member's loan, and then they stop paying on that, you don't think that creates friction in a family? Listen, monkey with somebody's money, and I guarantee you, you're going to get an angry bear. So don't let anybody monkey with your money so it doesn't create conflict in the family. Okay, so when we talk about money, how does it relate to the family? It relates everything to the family. Why do we need to understand money God's way? Because he has put the protections in there for us to be able to do money and do it wisely. So Proverbs 13.22, we're talking about family finances, says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Okay? Here's an interesting statistic I learned this week. 
2%, only 2% of inherited money makes more money. Think, yeah, think about this. Only 2% of inherited money ends up making more money. Why do you think that is? I'm asking, this isn't rhetorical. Why do you think that only 2% of money that people inherit, that that money makes more money? We're talking millionaires, billionaires, the whole deal. Because kids spend their money. Well, now don't blame the kids, Rick. Now it might be, it might be the aunts or uncles or my cousins who get all the money. <laughs> no, I'm not bitter. No, I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter at all. Uh, but that's right. The kids will spend. Omo? Yeah. They, they don't realize the value of it. They didn't. Is that what you were going to say, Phil? Okay, any, anyone have another comment? That's the money comment right there. Okay, oh, Todd? They didn't work for it. Listen, you cannot imagine in 30 years of ministry the infighting that I have experienced over deceased people's money. Money you didn't do a thing to earn but yet you feel entitled to it. Yeah. Yeah. See, when you get something that you haven't done the work for, or you understand the value of, what you end up doing is you absorb it and you take it to deal with everything that your flesh has always wanted. What? And you end up broke. That's why, isn't Proverbs 13, 22, God is so smart. He said that you need to plan to leave an inheritance. Now listen to me, Allison, okay? Abby, Matt, listen to me. Your dad has worked hard to leave you an inheritance. You better have something to leave of that inheritance to your kids. Because that's a biblical model. And when you operate that biblically, God's going to take everything you inherit. He's going to explode it if you'll invest it. You'll have plenty for you, and then there'll be plenty for the kids as well. See, God has a way of doing something with our finances that can make our life exciting and not stressful. So we need to have a plan. You need to have a plan for what that looks like. Nathan and Mariah, I got great news for you. At 65, you guys can have a million dollars to live on. Okay? You can. You can have a million dollars to live on. I can get you 4% today on a million, which means you would have $40,000 to live on when, when, uh, off the interest of the million, and you wouldn't even have to touch the million. But you're going to have to start today. Because this is one thing I want to tell you about money. Time is money and you can never get back time. Time is money and you can never get back time. And when you don't think about time and money and then you want to get back what you wanted to do 10 years ago, it costs you three times the amount to do what you should have done at your age to catch up at my age. Actually, if I'm catching up at my age, it's going to cost me eight times the amount of money that it's going to cost these guys 
to be a millionaire at 65. And it's not impossible. But what are our goals? First of all, if we have no long-term goals, we will never invest money with the idea of it becoming something we need for the future. When you have a 401k, when you have a retirement account, that account is to never be touched. It's not your money. It's your future's money. And when you pull and, and take out of 401ks, 403bs, uh, annuities and retirement things, not only are you penalized at a high rate, but you have stopped time on that money. And you cannot get time back. So what I was saying to these guys at 25, if you invest $214 a month at 25, you can have a million dollars at 65. A million dollars at 65, okay? Now, here's, here's the bad news. If you're 35, it's going to take you $546 a month to be able to get that million dollars to live on. I've got even worse news. If you're 45, it's going to take you $1,500 a month to get to a million. And if you're 55, sort of like me, six, seven, soon to be eight, but it would take you 5,168 bucks a month to get to a million. And so why am I saying this to you? Because today is the day for you to rethink your finances. Not tomorrow, not I'll do it as a New Year's resolution, not in 2025 when I think I'm gonna have more. No, today is the day to adjust your thinking. And God has all the wisdom that you need to help you adjust things. But I'm going to tell you, the hardest thing to adjust when it comes to people and their finances are your bad habits and your flesh. We can set you up on a budget, but now you have to operate it. And in order to operate a budget that you have not been on for the first 30 years of your life is like having your molars removed with no Novocaine. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I'm trying to think of some things, it's like dropping a 45-pound weight on your foot. It's like uh, nothing I can, I can imagine. And in my 30 years of being a pastor, and I, I'm a personal finance guy before I came into to ministry, 50% of people will take the budget and operate it, and the other 50% just can't do it. But you need to do it, okay? Because time is money, and you can't get back time, okay? Now, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6, because... We're going to begin to take a peek at why does God say the things he says? Why are these scriptures the way they are? And, and my, my point in this part of my message is this, that your money in God's hands will do more than you could ever do on your own. Your money operated in God's purposes will generate for you things that are unseen and unheard of. How do I know that? I know that because 
When it was time to operate my life on $10,000 one year, $11,000 another year, and $19,000 on the time that we went into ministry, we still did everything that we needed to do because we operated our money God's way. We did not stagnate. We did not go into debt. We did not run up credit card debts. We did not stop investing in our future. We might have invested at a much lower rate, but we knew we had to do something. And when we learned how to do what God has shown us to do, we learned how to make positive momentum with no matter what we've got. What I'm trying to say to you is this. You got to learn how to do your money God's way if you're going to make the godly impact that's going to last not just the next generation, but the generation after that. How many of you are interested at all in leaving an inheritance for your children? Okay? I mean, then there's a way to do it. Okay? There's a way to do it. And you have to do it God's way. I'm smiling. We all good? I mean, you all happy out there listening to this great message on understanding your finances? I'm so glad. Hallelujah. Don't forget to come back next week, all right? <laughs> Please don't forget to come back next week. But how many of you realize that in order to do something, it's like, you know, we knew that that wasn't the proper way to do things because Tammy's parents did it completely the opposite way. They did their money completely the opposite way. 95% of times the, the, the right way they did it. And so they're looking at their days in, in a different way. When we go to uh, uh, take care of mom and dad, there's not going to be four rolls of paper towels and some change from their room for their kids. Because they've done their money the right way. Okay? And so when we look at the Word of God... Everybody smile at me. Y'all look like you need a seventh inning stretch or something. My God. Come on. We're all good, right? Hallelujah. When, when, when Jesus talks about this idea of, of money, and, you know, he talks about nobody being able to serve two masters in Matthew 6, 24. And then he talks in 6, 25, and I'm going to paraphrase this because this is all text of scripture we all know so so much you know then I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food to drink or clothes uh, to wear isn't life more than that now why would Jesus say that if God didn't have the way to operate your money so that you wouldn't have to worry about this now we've talked about value are you not more valuable than than the birds and, and the beavers and the bears and everything that God provides for, and they do nothing, they don't work at all, but God provides for them. God has given us the ability to earn and to figure and to do, and he's given us the, the wisdom then to do that to where it's going to bless you and bless the kingdom. Bless you and bless the kingdom. In order to understand, though, how to operate under God's principles and privileges, you have to understand that there are parameters for these privileges 
that God gives us. And to operate within these parameters brings you the peace that passes all understanding. Now, I, 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 I can tell you how to be a millionaire, but you have to set forth that as your goal and not my goal. And I'm not so sure being a millionaire is God's goal for you. But if it is, I guarantee you, you he'll make it happen. So he talks about all these things. Why do you worry? Why do you worry? Why do you worry? And then he says, this is one of the four times, and you've heard my message on the four times that God said, O ye of little faith, that he's saying, why don't you trust me that I will provide for you this way? And then he says, here's the secret. In verse 33, he says that seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will what? What's it say? And he will read it out loud and he will give you everything you need. This is a trust issue. Your money is a trust issue. When I take out my wallet and I can say, here, Lord, you're like the Lord. Hallelujah. When I can say thank you for my allowance. Seriously. I'm, I'm just teasing. These are jokes. So when I say, God, here is my money. I put it in your hands. You show me what to do with it. And when I can trust him that whatever he says is going to make me better off, then I'm in the right place. When I look at what God says in his word and I say to God, well, God, oh, let me see. I read that. Well, here, I think I can spare the buck today. What, what do you think God wants to do with that? Now, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Okay, so bear with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for you. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Why is that? Because in order to do what you need to do, this has to come into check. And you will never bring your flesh into submission to the things of God until you are seeking God all the time. Now, this flesh has many needs and desires that it thinks that it has. And many of them are legal, many of them are illegal, but God says, seek me first and I'll make sure not only is your flesh in check, but I will give you everything you need. Listen, if you have the gift of giving and you are supplying seed to a project in Burundi, and you are sowing into that project because you have a gift of giving, do you not think that God is not going to only supply your need, but he's going to give you an abundance for the things that you're then sowing into? Trust me, it's the oddest principle in the world, but it's a kingdom principle. And you, when you operate your finances under kingdom principles, you begin to see things in a whole different way. You begin to experience God in a whole different way. But you experience him by seeking him. And in order to, to tame the flesh, you have to seek him in a way that you're going to understand him like you've never understood him before. 
Your employer is not your provider. Redeemer's Church is not my provider. God is my provider, and He provides for me through Redeemer's Church. The fire department is not your provider. God is your provider. And He provides for you through the work that you do at the fire station. And when you understand principles that God brings, He not only brings you the provision through your job, but He'll bring you extra provision through ways that you, don't even, you haven't even thought of. Kingdom principles are different. You cannot take out a personal finance book from Ohio University and, and learn how to properly operate in the kingdom of God. Those are great principles, but you have to add the God factor because those books do not tell you that your fee for the kingdom is 10%. Now, pastor, now you're, now you're getting out of hand. Now you're getting out of hand. So you're expecting me to take 90% of what I've earned, and then you expect me to live on that 90%? I don't only expect you to do that, I just wanna make this point, you're cheating yourself if you don't do that. Wow, that was a strong. Don't cheat yourself. The kingdom principles are, are, are the best, and the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Everything is God's. And so when we used to sing that old song, my God shall supply all my needs, according to what? And his riches. And so if everything is God's, and he says, seek first the kingdom, and then I will add to you everything you need, then what you, you have to understand is, is there is a biblical dynamic to our finances. Put up 1 Corinthians 10. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Read the whole context there in, in that scripture reference because it's talking about uh, foods and things to eat and the way you judge people and those types of things. And God is saying the earth is mine and everything that's within it. You have to understand you are not the owners of your finances. Number two, you have to understand, not only are you not owners, but you're not slaves to your money either. Look at, uh, go backwards if you're in Matthew chapter six, and let's look at verse 19. It says, don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break into steel. Wherever your treasure is, listen to this, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. When you're storing up your treasures in God's realm, that will be your first identifier to say that I'm not out to please my flesh, but I'm out to please the Lord. And so you don't have to become a slave to your money. The third thing about viewing money from God's way is, is that you have to understand that you are just a steward of the money. That God has given you that money. He's provided it to you. 
so that you could be a good steward of it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. And we're not going to go over all of this either because I can see this is a lot for everybody today. This is the, the parable. Oh, you know, I forgot to mention to you guys at the beginning of this message. I got so excited I just blew right by it. There are over 700 direct references to money in the Bible. 700 direct references to the Bible. Two-thirds of the parables deal with money. And so, you know, when people say, you know, yeah, I don't even want to talk about money. I certainly don't want to talk about it in the church because I saw some guy on TV. Forget about the guy on TV. It doesn't have anything to do with the guy on TV. We're not taking a second offering before you leave today, so just relax. Okay? We're not doing that. We've never done that. We'll never do that as a manipulation. Either God touches your heart. I'm not going to touch your, your wallet. I'm not going to manipulate you emotionally. It's, it's not about that. It's about understanding finances God's way. So this is the, the, the parable of the steward when God gives money to him and says, invest this. And the guy with five came back with five more. The guy with three came back with three more. And the guy who just had one talent didn't do anything with it. And so in verse 24, it says, Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Interesting. How many of you know Jesus to be a harsh man? It's okay if you didn't raise your hand. Okay? Because I know nobody's going to raise their hand in that. That's a rhetorical question. But if you see Jesus as a harsh man, I want you to pray and ask Jesus to reveal his true self to you. You know, I was thinking that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, he loved you so much that he went to the cross for you. He gave his life for you. Today, he is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. That is not a harsh man. That is a man who loves you more than he loved his own life. Okay? So when you get to the place of getting biblical understanding on your finances, understand the one who gave your life, his life for you is the one who is giving the direction to you about these things. Okay? Now, isn't it interesting? Here's an interesting principle about kingdom money. Jesus says you can put your money in the bank and gain a small amount of interest, or you can deposit your money in the kingdom and get a great return. Mm. How does that work, Pastor? How do I operate on 90% of my money and have enough money to get a great return back on that money? We're going to talk about that next week. That's why you have to come back. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant, give it to the ones who has 10 bags of silver. To those who use what they are given, even more. Kingdom principle. That's why you have to understand me today. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have a what? An abundance. Isn't that what Jesus said? I've come to give you life and life what? Abundantly. He's just reiterating in this parable something he's already said before. 
But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. When you take your seed that God has given you and you invest 10% of that seed into something, one of the things that happens is, is you get a protective plan on the 90%. Nobody is going to come and take your money. But for those who do nothing, even what the, the little they have will be taken away. Why? Because that's what the enemy does. He steals and he kills and he destroys. So there's two ways to operate in the kingdom. Fully trusting God or only being a part of the things that you'd like to, to be a part of. And so this is an important thing to understand. We have to steward God's money. We're not slaves to that money. We are stewards. And so in order to do that, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. And, you know, I'm setting the groundwork for to be able to teach the next lesson. We got to be able to have the groundwork for the, from this one. Okay, you all good? Thank you, too. Philippians chapter 4 talks about peace, okay? The peace that passes all understanding. And in verses 8 and 9, it tells you what to fix your thoughts on. This is really critical. Now, that's your homework. You read those, those parameters. But in verse 10, it says this. And my point here is this. In order to do things the kingdom way, you have got to find contentment. You got to find a place where you're content. Amen. How much is going to be enough? Right. How many of you have realized that you know you you got that uh, two dollar an hour a week raise and you got the extra eighty bucks in your paycheck one time and then you began to spend that and the contentment on that about three months just kind of dried up because you found a place for every one of those eighty dollars. And, and the contentment is, is that I need more because what that's done is wet my whistle for what 80 extra bucks can do, as opposed to saying, wow, that's $8 more for the kingdom, that's $8 more for my savings account, and extra money to do some of the things that I'd like to do. You've got to find contentment. And the Apostle Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you always have been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for this is what he's learned. Listen, for I have learned how to be content in whatever I have. Now this week, I want you to sit and think. When is the last time you were content with what you had? When is the last time you didn't go to the refrigerator and wish you had a new one? When is the last time that you watched your 55-inch screen that you weren't thinking about the 80-inch screen? I mean, I've seen some screens that are so big that when the guy pitches the ball out and he runs to the left, I'm ducking because I think he's coming at me. 
How big of a screen do you have to have in order to be content? What laptop do you have to own until you're at the right place? How much, Jill, were you telling me the new iPhone was? $1,100 for the, the new iPhone. Now, I think it's cool. It's got three lenses on it. Dude, you can wide angle. You can, I mean, but my iPhone 8 is plenty. It's plenty. And until they switch the iOS to where the 8 doesn't work anymore, I'm going to be good with the 8. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. Even so, you've done well to share with me at my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help more than once. I didn't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive what? A reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all that I need. At the moment, I have all that I need. See, Paul is looking about where he's at right at this time. You know, uh, you know when you eat lunch today, know you have all the food that you need. All the food that you need. When you lay your head down tonight, know that you have everything that you need as you lay your head down. And so he talked about Epaphrodites, and then in verse 19, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his ri glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. We've got to find contentment. And in the last seven minutes, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians, Chapter 9, because I want you to understand the final thing before we go into next week's message, okay? In this text of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 9, they're talking about here that if you want a harvest, you cannot devour your seed. Listen to me. Somebody told me that an ear of corn has 270 kernels. Now, everybody's cracking on me on this. I'm just telling you what I was told. That the average ear of corn has 270 kernels on it. And each one of those kernels can represent a seed, correct? But what if you have a field of corn that you've grown, and you take every ear and you devour it? What are you going to have to plant for next year? Somewhere along the line, you're going to have to sit aside a portion. And if, let's just say if you set aside a bushel of corn to get the same harvest you had the year before, 
then you're probably like the guy with one talent. But if you take two bushels of corn, take the seeds of that, and then plant your field next year, you're going to have twice as much in your next harvest. Is that, is that logical? Okay, so listen to me. If you devour your seed, then you do not have something to put forth for the harvest. If you devour your seed, you have nothing to leave as an inheritance to your children's children. If you devour your seed, then you lose the, the concept of the kingdom principles for what God wants to do with your life. Remember this in verse 6, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much you will give. You have to decide that. Paul is saying this is an individual choice. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. How many of you realize when your finances are messed up, you've got enough pressure? Would, you, would anybody agree with that? When your finances are not in order, you've got enough pressure. I'm not here today to put pressure on you. I'm here to release the valve, to relieve that, that pressure. So don't leave out of here going, Pastor just, just like destroyed us today. He put all kinds of pressure on. No, I did not. I did not put any pressure on you today. I'm trying to release your valve. Okay, now here's the interesting thing. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure because once you seek first the kingdom of God and he begins to add forth his riches, you're going to find how these principles work. You're going to find it for yourself. Now listen to this. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously. Now there's going to be some great words here. Put this up on the screen. Okay, I want you all to stand with me because that'll help me to end. Okay? If you can't stand for two minutes, just sit tight. And God will provide everybody, say, all. All, all you need. Do you trust Him? Do you, no, I'm, I'm, I, you have to ask yourself, do you trust Him? Okay, then you're in a great place. Now listen to this. Then you will, everybody say always. always. How often? Always. How much? All. Always. He, will, he will provide all you need. Then you will, say it again. Always. always. Somebody look at your neighbor and tell them. Always. You'll always have. Say it with a smile like you're convincing them. Shake your head a little. Always. Always. Rick. Always. No, I'm oh, Millie. Always. Always. All of it. Always. Everything's coming up. Are you excited? You will. Then you will always have, everybody say, everything you need. 
and how much? Plenty. Plenty. Left over to what? See, this is where the joy is. The joy is taking your excess because you've had everything and you've got to watch God do it. And then you take your excess and say, little seed for you, little seed for you. Here's some for you. Here's some for you. And next week, when I get more, I'll give some to you and you because I'm expecting it. Look at Gina giving away her seed. Did she? She took it. Give him some. Gina said, give me that back. He said he would give you some next week. And I do. I have more seed to give you next week. Father, in Jesus' name, make the complicated simple. Help our families to walk in victory. Help us, God, to understand that you are our God and you will supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. Father, today I ask in Jesus' name that you would pour out to this congregation the abundance that your word says you promise when we operate under the principles of the King. Father, we pray that next week when we take this message to the next dimension and take the foundation that was built today and learn how next week to operate under those principles, that you will begin to give testimonies of faithfulness to every person in this room. And so, Father, today I thank you for helping me Get to the point today of laying a foundation, of tackling the elephant in the room to help us to say, Lord, help me in this situation. Now, if you are here today and you say, I want what comes from kingdom principles, don't raise your hand, raise your heart. Right now, don't raise your hand. Although both of mine are raised, but raise your heart because I'm going to pray for you right now. Lord, in Jesus name, I pray for this section to realize the beauty of your holiness and your glory in what you provide in Jesus name. Father, for this section, I pray a blessing on them that as they open themselves up to seek you first, that you will give them everything that you have designed for them to have. Father, in this section for every person, Father, who needs a great revelation. Let them have it this week and next to understand that they can trust you and things will be good. Father, in Jesus' name for this section, I pray an anointing to take this information and not only embrace it, but use it for the things that you are showing them and for your kingdom. Father, for all of us, let us walk in the freedom of our finances because we're gonna do it your way and trust you. And Father, we just give you praise in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. let's give the Lord a praise offering with a smile on your face, hallelujah. Go in peace and be prepared for next week's message.